Hello, and welcome back to the While We're Waiting Hope After Child Loss podcast. I'm Jill Sullivan, your host and one of the co-founders of the While We're Waiting ministry. This is a podcast of stories, stories of devastating loss and grief and heartbreak and struggle, and stories of hope and healing and faith and, yes, even joy. Underlying every conversation is the hope we have in Jesus Christ, which makes it possible to not just survive the loss of a child, but to live well while we're waiting to see them again in heaven one day. You can learn more about our ministry and the free Bereaved Parent Retreats we host by visiting our website at www.whilewe'rewaiting.org. Welcome to episode number 115. I'm so excited today for you to meet my friend Celeste Helsel, who has so much wisdom to share after three decades of missing her son Clint. When Clint went to heaven in 1991, support systems for bereaved parents really did not exist. There were no cell phones, no internet, no Facebook groups for grieving parents, and certainly no podcasts. The handwritten notes and cards she received during those early years were a lifeline to her and helped her realize she was not alone. In time, she learned that God comforted her, not to make her comfortable, but to make her a comforter, and she certainly is that. Sit back and listen in for some words of wisdom and encouragement today. Hi, Celeste. Welcome to the podcast. Well, hi, Jewel. What a privilege and pleasure to join you today. Yeah, it's an honor to have you on. Let's get started by just giving you the opportunity to tell the listeners a little bit about yourself. Tell us where you're from and what life is like for you there. Randy and I live in a sweet little rural community called Barclay, Texas, It's in the heart of Texas. It's just a little south of Waco and a little north of Austin. We are in our eighth year of retirement uh, after 38 years for Randy with the Ralph Wilson Youth Club and Temple. Uh, Randy was born in Arkansas Razorback in West Memphis, and he came to Mm -hmm. Texas in 1977 for his job following graduation from college. I am a native Texan, and I was born a few miles from Barclay in Rosebud, Texas, and grew up in another little rural community named Cyclone, where my mother still lives. I was one of eight children, and my parents have 25 grandchildren, 57 great-grandchildren, and four great-great-grandchildren. Oh, my goodness. Wow. And most of these 124 family members live in nearby communities, so we get together often. Yeah. Uh, Randy and I have a blended family of four children, his two sons, Dave and Josh, and my children, Clint Blaine and Kara Celeste. Kara's ranch family includes a husband and three sons who live seven minutes away, while Dave and Josh and their wives and families live in Austin and Bertram, which is about an hour away. Mm -hmm. Dave has two sons, and Josh has a son and a daughter, so we have a total of seven grandchildren. Wow. We live a charmed country life on our little five-acre ranchette Uh, which is currently home to 190 lambs that belong to our two oldest grandsons. Um, And Randy golfs often, and I am what you might call a prolific quilter because I quilt every day of my life. Wow. Um, I also enjoy cooking, baking, uh, gardening while it's cool, and I facilitate a Bible study for women in our little community in the spring and in the fall, 
these women are from um, other small rural churches, just as, and they, most of these small churches don't have women's ministries per se. And uh, when COVID hit, we realized that we all needed fellowship. And so we've been meeting ever since. And yeah. I got appointed the facilitator. So most of these women are also uh, fellow quilters and crafters, too. As far as Randy and I are concerned, our favorite pastime involves any activities that uh, we can attend with our grandchildren, which is predominantly baseball year-round right now for our two high schoolers. We enjoy traveling cross-country with our wild and crazy dog, uh, Liberty Bell, or Libby, who is a black uh-huh. lab. But uh-huh. we haven't traveled much since COVID and because we don't want to miss ball games and other family events. Sure. Yeah, I enjoy keeping up with the adventures of Libby through your Facebook page. <laughs> she was born in Arkansas, too. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, she loves her uh, her daddy, that's for sure. Yep. She's the other woman. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Now, you mentioned that you have two kids yourself, Kara and Clint. I would love for you to tell us a little bit more about Clint in particular. That's who we're here to talk about today. So help us to get to know him a little bit. Well, Clint was every parent's dream child. He was uh, happy. He was witty. He was earthy. He was winsome. He was bright. We called him a walking encyclopedia back then because, well, Google didn't exist. Uh, (laughs) Because he could retain everything that he read, everything that he saw, everything that he heard. Uh, And he went to a daycare before he attended kindergarten, and it was owned by a sweet elderly couple who taught phonics. So by the time Clint started kindergarten, he was reading the front page of the local newspaper. Uh, And one of his classmates shared the story of their kindergarten teacher announcing the first week of school that Clint was going to read a story to the class. And the rest of the kids said, say what? We can't even say our ABCs. And (laughs) here he was reading to his class. Yes. Uh So he attended uh, what would be considered a medium-sized school in Central Texas that had mostly rural uh, Students. So most of his classmates went to school together for 13 years. Um, there were 43 graduates graduates in his class in 1991, and Clint was the valedictorian of their eighth grade class and the valedictorian of their senior class, as well as a National Merit Commended Scholar. But he was never considered a nerd by any of them. He mm-hmm. once told me, Mom, I'm not really smarter than any of my classmates. I just remember stuff. (laughs) (laughs) And once in elementary school, he made a B or a C on his report card, and I went to school to talk to his teacher, and she told me that Clint wasn't turning in homework. And he looked at us credulously and said, well, I make a hundred on all my tests, so I didn't think I needed to do that. (laughs) So... um, He was a neat Nick, a neat freak, and as a small child, he developed a sense of wit, and he fell in love with Johnny Carson, and so he would beg us every night to let him stay up to watch Carson, but he was only allowed to stay up on Friday nights because it wasn't a school night. 
And he could recall the Carson's monologue verbatim way better than adults could when they tried to repeat it the next day. And uh, we eventually learned that he shared his October 23rd birthday with Johnny Carson. Following his death, we also learned that uh, one of Carson's adult sons died in an auto accident a couple of months after Clint died. Wow. Clint was not super athletic, though he played the traditional sports growing up, and he loved everything about them, especially the trivia, especially about just being with friends. In high school, he was the statistician for the football team, which gave him access to the sidelines to be with his friends every Friday night. And, of course, he preserved the most accurate statistics that were ever recorded because he was just detail-oriented. Yeah. And he did play basketball as well and golf, but he didn't start on his senior-laden team. Once I said to him, being the ultimate competitor from a family of eight, I said, I would have quit a long time ago if I were you, Clint. And he responded, well, Mom, I'm 5'10", I'm white, and I can't jump. So (laughs) he just... He loved being with his friends, and he never ragged his coaches about playing time. Um, His coach told me that once he played the last minute of a game, and while I was there, he hit a three-pointer, and the gym erupted. Um, And afterwards, he told his coach, now, see, if you had let me play the whole game, I could have scored (laughs) 90 points. (laughs) This was just his wholesome sense of humor. And the other thing is that he was the first of my parents' 25 grandchildren, and he was the first great-grandchild. He should have been a rotten kid because my younger siblings would wait for him at my back door on Friday afternoons, and they would take him home for the weekend. Um, He was just their little toy, and um, he had a blast. They had a blast with him, and he loved them to pieces, but... He never acted like a spoiled, rotten kid. Of course, so many other grandkids came along right after him. That that made a difference, too. But he was really beloved by my family. He had a really special place in the hearts of my family. Yeah, sure. That first grandchild is really special, I think. Hannah was the first grandchild on, on either side in our family, too. And she had a pretty special spot there. Yes, it's a sweet spot. Mm-hmm. So talk about what happened to Clint in the spring of 1991. Well, I received a call about 5.30 in the afternoon on Wednesday, April 10th, that from a, a sister who lived near Clint and his dad. And all she knew was that something had happened and that Clint was en route to the nearest ER by ambulance. So I met the ambulance there and I really can't remember what happened in that chaos, except that we were ushered into a private room where they told us within a half hour or so that Clinton died. He had been discovered unconscious on the garage floor by his dad, and he had died of his asphyxiation by carbon monoxide. He had come home from a school golf tournament, and he went straight to the bathroom where he usually read. They had stopped to eat on the way home, so this was a, a man thing. You know, he, he was in a hurry. Uh, we knew that because he had worn his golf cleats on the shag carpet. 
and mm. being the neat freak who he would not have normally done that sort of thing. But yeah, he uh, left his eight track playing in his old 76 Plymouth. I'm really dating myself when I share this because it happened so long ago, though. But he left that eight-track playing in his old 76 Plymouth that he had bought from his grandmother, and uh, he had left it running so he could hear it in the house and closed the outside garage door and left the door open into the house so he could hear his music. Mm-hmm. And he obviously was unaware that carbon monoxide was so lethal. And it yeah. appears that he was on his way to turn off the engine of his car when he collapsed. So when his dad opened the garage door, Clint was lying on the floor next to his car. And his dad thought he was playing a practical joke on him. But he didn't react when his dad honked the horn They lived on a busy highway, and immediately neighbors who were passing by recognized something was wrong and stopped to help. David was a former cop, and his wife, Jean, was a retired O-R-E-R, ICU nurse. Mm -hmm. And this is who the Lord sent to help Clint's dad. Mm -hmm. We didn't even have 911 in Texas back then. So David called for an ambulance in the sheriff's office, and Jean was able to get an artificial pulse through CPR. And she accompanied him in the ambulance to the ER, but he was pronounced shortly after his arrival. Mm-hmm. Oh, and let me back up and say this. David was my, one of my first bosses when I got out of high school, and I had not seen him for years, and he was a former cop. And as they were driving down the highway from a local uh, store, his eyes would still go back and forth from side to side. And he said to Jean, something is wrong back there. And they turned around and came back. Mm. Unfortunately, a few years later, I had to console them because one of their daughters died in an auto accident. But Mm. you just never burn bridges because you never Mm. know when when people come back into your lives. Yeah. They have a special place in my heart. So the Justice of the Peace ordered a full forensic autopsy to rule out homicide. To be sure somebody hadn't hit him over the head when he came into the garage or when he got out of his car. Mm -hmm. And the investigators that evening told his dad that there was no evidence that Clint had purposely taken his own life. And because his dad and I were divorced and with all the chaos and pain and suffering that's involved in the sudden death of a young person, I was unaware that that conversation had taken place. So for the two months that we waited for the full autopsy report, I went through the emotional gymnastics of dealing with suicide as well. Mm -hmm. Um, The final ruling was accidental asphyxiation by carbon monoxide poisoning. And most people associate carbon monoxide deaths with suicide, even Mm -hmm. though there are thousands of accidental deaths annually caused by carbon monoxide poisoning. And even 31 years later, I still run into folks who think that Clint took his own life. Mm-hmm. So I have special empathy for parents who deal with this unique trauma and the stigma that accompanies it. Yeah. There's truly nothing like kissing the cold, lifeless cheek of your son. 
who was a healthy, beautiful 18-year-old with his brilliant future ahead of him. We held his funeral um, on a Saturday in a torrential downpour with over 700 people packed into that old historic church. And his friends who served as pallbearers were drenched as they carried his body to that sweet church cemetery. And after the funeral lunch, the sun just the sun shone brightly. It was like a new day had dawned. Also, very early that morning, his great grandma left for Glory Land after a three year battle with Alzheimer's. Wow. So Clint was her first great grandchild, and he was mm-hmm. very dear to her. We buried Clint on Saturday, and then we buried Grandma on Monday. So there's, um, as a lot of parents know, there's simply nothing normal about seeing your child's name on a grave marker mm-hmm. or about owning the autopsy report of your child. Yeah. Both are still horrifying to me if I think about it too long. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and your situation was so sudden, you know. You just started on a normal day having no idea how your life was about to change. And then you get that phone call and, you know, you're at the hospital and and you find out just almost as soon as you got there, it sounds like that Clint was gone. That's so hard for me to relate to because my story is so different. Um, Yeah. And our family had never known any trauma like this ever. It, It just was shattering. Mm-hmm. Our family was so big already, and it was it just it, it was shattering, yeah, and they like I said that he was so beloved by them all too, yeah, I can just imagine how the shock waves just ran through your entire family each each generation even and and all the communities around are um you know there are lots of rural schools that are they're twenty miles apart, some of them, and so. Uh, there's just this intermix of students between schools and they play each other in sports and that you have cousins in one in your same school and then you have cousins in another school district that you yeah. play. And so it's different than if you're living in a city. Well, I guess it is, but it isn't. But, but all these ripples go out to all these rural areas and mm-hmm. it affects all of these kids. And uh, it was just, it was big. It was really big. Yeah, sure. Clint was just seven weeks shy of high school graduation, right? Right. When he went to heaven. Um, And I know, you know, Hannah also, she went to heaven in her junior year of high school. And one of the hardest things for me was dealing with all of those things that she missed, you know, kind of in air quotes here, high school graduation, going to college, getting married, having children. How did you deal with all of those things that Clint missed? Well, I think you grieve them as each of those events is supposed to happen. Um, yeah. There were so many dreams and aspirations for this unique gift who was who had come straight from the hand of God, no doubt. Um, He had saved his favorite 65 invitations from colleges and universities from all over the country because he was going to school for free someplace, and he just Mm -hmm. had to decide where. 
but he had opted to attend uh, Texas A&M with several of his friends and because they had a, a great engineering school. He was actually a dyed-in-the-wool Texas Longhorn fan who asked me not to get him anything maroon that Christmas before he died because he said he had orange blood. But he had decided to go to A&M. But he never got to walk that stage for his high school diploma. We were left with those graduation invitations that were never mailed. Mm, yeah. Um, and the graduation gown and cap are still in the original bag with a little 1991 on the tassel. Sure. I, uh, I went to what should have been his high school graduation seven weeks later, and somehow I presented scholarships in his memory to two of his friends. Wow. Being the first grandchild in the family, I fully expected to plan the first high school and college graduation parties the first wedding, maybe showers for grandbabies. But I had to stand back and watch several other nieces and nephews achieve these events first before Kira was finally old enough as she was six years younger than Quinn. Mm -hmm. But when they started happening for Kara, they were much more meaningful to us because yes. we no longer took them for granted and we were mm -hmm. keenly aware that all of life can change in the blink of an eye. We were no longer in that state of being blissfully unaware that unspeakable suffering is always just a heartbeat away. Yeah. So I think all of Kara's special moments were and still are uh, bittersweet because the absence of her big brother that she adored uh, overshadows them from her own ball games and graduations, her wedding, the births of her sons, and just all of their everyday events. So we also endured a season when we thought we might never have grandchildren, which seemed pretty unfair at the time. But the Lord was gracious and uh, blessed Kara with three boys. And the first was given Clint's middle name, Blaine. Mm, love that. So there's not a day that goes by that we don't wish that Clint was here to share their lives. And, of course, we wish they could meet this uncle that they will never know. But yeah, we know that Clint would have just gotten a really big kick out of them. They're entertaining as boys can get, you know, and sweet country boys. And he would just loved everything about them. Oh, sure. And they would have yeah. loved him, too. Yeah. I think he would have been a fun uncle. Yes, he would have. <laughs> it's been a little over 31 years now since Clint went to heaven. But I want you to think back, if you can, to the very early days of your grief. What advice would you give to a, to a newly bereaved parent? I would say that... Whatever you are feeling or thinking is normal and that you're not crazy. Yeah. Um, another hard reality is that uh, many of your friends and family will not be able to comfort you, relate to you, hang with you for the long haul, mm -hmm. or meet your needs. And it's mostly because they have not personally experienced child loss. People cannot give you something they don't possess. So you have to let go of those expectations and people your life with bereaved parents who can relate and who are farther along in the journey. Mm -hmm. 
I think it's also important to find a brief share group in your area or online. Uh, this is a Christ-centered Bible study, and it's held at many churches and funeral homes, and they are always open to everyone, including non-members. Of course, everyone should attend a while we're waiting retreat or, or find a <laughs> monthly while we're waiting support group in their area. Um, depending on the fragility of a parent, I might tell them that child loss is something that you really never get over until you die. You don't get over the death of your child until your own death. However, the pain will not always be as intense and as frequent as it is in the first few years. And I do mean years. The first three to five years, I think, are just years of shock. I mean, I think yeah. you get tremendously better after two to three years, maybe. I turned lots of corners before then, but um, I still think those first five years are just hard. Mm-hmm. And, and that doesn't mean it ends after five years. It never ends. The other thing that um, people have to remember is that um, there are no shortcuts or detours for dealing with pain. They just got to lean into it and trust the Lord to love them and keep them. And I would encourage them to share the story of their child at every opportunity because others need you and you need others. And wherever you go, there are parents like you who are suffering in silence and they need to know that they are not alone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because grief can be a very lonely thing, can't it? I mean, you can feel like you're the only one sometimes. That's true. Over the last 31 years, have you seen a difference in how our society views grief, especially the grief of child loss? Definitely. There was only one support group in our area in 1991, and it was not a Christ-centered group. Mm-hmm. And it dissolved shortly after Clint's death. Uh, there was no internet, no cell phones, no Facebook support groups. Mm-hmm. So I truly felt alone. A stranger from Nashville, Tennessee, who was the niece of my boss in Temple, Texas, at the time, wrote me because she had buried a son. And we became pen pals. And a few years later, I was able to travel to Nashville for a visit with her. And uh, she eventually lost another one of her four sons. So she buried two of her sons. Thankfully, I was in a healthy church that offered long-term compassion and encouragement, uh, but I desperately awaited handwritten letters from other moms who could encourage me, and I found it uncomfortable to speak Clint's name, even in family settings, after a while because of the lack of response or sometimes just a blatant walk-off, but... That has all changed through Mm -hmm. the years as they all openly remember him in conversation now. I I have felt like I had to be an educator of sorts on this journey by Mm -hmm. telling people that I want to hear stories about Clint, that I need to talk about him, and that I, I let them know that saying his name is like handing a big present to me. Um, On the other hand, now feel complete freedom in talking to others about their loved ones because I know that 
we are all much the same, and we all need to hear the names of our loved ones. Mm -hmm. So there were some other things that made your grief maybe a little bit more complicated. Um, Would you mind talking about that a little bit? Yes, it's impossible for me to talk about this tragedy without speaking to the redemption that was mixed with it, which kind of made for a complicated grief. Um, As I mentioned earlier, Randy and I are in a second marriage for nearly 30 years now. Randy was not divorced by choice, and I left an 11-year marriage mostly because I was an unhappy unbeliever who thought my options were divorce or suicide. I was Mm. churched, but I was an unbeliever. I was unsaved. And in the divorce, we agreed to make it financially palatable to for each of us by splitting the custody of our children because there were also six years difference in their ages. And we allowed them to spend every weekend together just alternating homes. And of course, being unsaved, I was busy loving my single life and looking forward to free weekends and filling that God-shaped void with all the material things that people use, like travel, clothes, and partying, drinking, jewelry. Uh, Sometimes I even miss Clint's ball games. In other words, my children did not have the priority they should have had in my life at that time. But that all began to change when I came to the end of myself on May the 8th, 1987, uh, and I surrendered my life to Christ through the witness of a faithful friend and co-worker. Um, mm-hmm. My life was not cleaned up overnight, but the Lord had soundly saved me and led me to a Bible-teaching church with lots of resources and great spiritual mentors. And I could see the Lord changing my heart and my life incrementally. But... God was preparing me for a test because just four Mm. years later, Clint's death shook my world. Though I considered myself a baby Christian, I knew the Lord well enough to trust him, even in the worst circumstances. I knew enough scriptures to cling to them, as even in those Mm. early hours, I was reminded to trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. I knew within hours that my human brain would never be able to process and understand what had happened and that the Lord had given me that verse. Later, I learned Deuteronomy 29, 29, which says the secret things belong to the Lord our God. So one of the hardest things to process was not knowing about Clint's salvation. He also was churched. And he also willingly went to church with Kara and me when he was with us. But I had never had a conversation with him about his salvation now that I understood the gospel of grace. So I really struggled with not having that assurance for about 15 years. And the Lord finally gave me peace through his word. 2 Peter 3, 9 says that God is not slow about his promises, as some count slowness. But if he is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Uh, I also knew that God loved Clint more than I could, and he desired his salvation, and I could trust him with the outcome. So I guess Mm -hmm. I can say that I have come full circle 
to believing that I will see Clint again because of the goodness of the Lord. Mm -hmm. The other thing that was hard to receive forgiveness for was that I cheated Kara and Clint out of those last eight years together as siblings when I selfishly left that marriage. I also robbed their father and myself of being able to grieve this great loss together. We shared the common bond of loving our two children fiercely, but we couldn't console each other because we didn't live together. I was crushed by guilt and shame. I know that God forgives all our sins, the past, the present, and the future, and that he remembers them no more. And I also came to understand that the same God who could have but did not intervene in Clint's death could have also intervened in my walking out of a marriage, but he did not. It reminded me of the Apostle Paul uh, literally sharing his testimony with Timothy in First Timothy, and he's describing the way that he was a murderer of Christians. And he says, Yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was more than abundant with the faith and love which are found in Christ Jesus. Well, I had certainly acted ignorantly in unbelief, just like Paul. We, we are either a natural man or a spiritual man, and there aren't any gray areas. If we are of the world, we can only act like the world acts. And if we are, mm-hmm. and the scripture tells us in Romans 8 that we're unable to please God. Uh, but if we are in Christ, we can choose not to sin. So in 1998, I made 1 Timothy 1:12 through 17 my life verses and memorized them. Because I think it's basically the story of every believer. You're reminded of who you were before Christ and who you are now, only because of His Mm -hmm. grace. And I wanted to share that because I know that there are so many broken relationships and families who have regrets. And um, the pain is magnified so much when a tragedy happens. Uh, But I want them to know that There is peace, and it can come in knowing that God not only forgives our sins, but he forgets them, which we're unable to do. Psalm 103.12 says that as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. And I love what Corey Ten Boom adds to that in her book, Tramp for the Lord. She says that he casts them into the deepest ocean and posts a no fishing sign. And then as another part of that redemption, I think, um, 20 months after Clint's death, Randy married me in my fragile grieving state. And I also gained two bonus sons. Uh, We had dated for about two years before Clint's death, which was long enough for Randy to have gotten to know Clint. So I... Mm -hmm. It was like I could never walk away from him because it would be like walking away from a piece of plant, too. And I, I really loved him. So he has been the most supportive, non judgmental, compassionate partner along every step of the way. Uh, we even included a memorial candle lighting and song at our wedding to honor Clint's memory. Mm-hmm. 
Randy has never dismissed anything I am feeling. He has always allowed me to vent and weep. He's never suggested that I need to get over Clint. And he has always supported my ministry to bereaved parents and memorials in Clint's name. I realized in a, about our seventh year of marriage that God had given me a husband who loved me unconditionally. And that was something yes. that I had never experienced before. He has uh, truly been a gift and a rock through some very hard days. Yeah, a, a man like that truly is a gift. Wow. Mm-hmm. I'm so thankful that God brought him into your life. It sounds like the timing was perfect. It too. was. It was. Mm-hmm. So people often feel awkward around a parent that has lost a child because they just don't know what to say. What were some of the least helpful things said to you after Clint died? You know, I'm sure you've heard them all after three decades of walking this journey. And then what were some of the most helpful things? Um, Yes, fortunately, I've probably forgotten most of them. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. And and because I've learned to give grace, because like I said, people can't give you something they don't possess. And so few people have experienced child loss compared to those who have not, so they can't really relate. The least helpful thing is telling me that God needed another angel since God has no needs and He and we don't become angels when we die. I, that one, it just right. blows my mind still. Yeah, now, This is probably one of the most egregious ones. Um, a co-worker told me... Um, that in the Monday morning report at the hospital following Clint's funeral on Saturday, one of the nurses said that now that the funeral was over, Celeste should be getting back on track. Oh, wow. And that was a pretty mm-hmm. disturbing to hear just six days after his death. I did yeah. not know that there were people like that, but it was a good wake-up call. It was a good yeah. wake-up call. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, I, you know, the others are just kind of have forgotten and blown off. But that, that one comes to mind. Yeah, that one sticks with you for sure. Well, and that just to me is a picture of how little people who haven't experienced child loss really understand. And I was probably one of those people, you know. I just had no idea the depth of the grief and loss. True. Mm-hmm. What were some of the most helpful things that were said to you? Can you remember any of those? Um, I think the most important thing that was said to me early on was from my friend, Sissy from Nashville, who became my pen pal. She was the one who told me that I was not crazy and that everything I was feeling or thinking was normal. I really needed for yeah. somebody to tell me that because I, I could not tell people what was going on in my head and heart. I wouldn't risk it because I would have absolutely thought yeah. I was nuts. And um, still, sure. sometimes I think, boy, the things that go through my head sometimes about death and dying and the circumstances of that, that time just are crazy. It was like a huge hug for me. Um, hmm. There's also something, the reminder that my future with Clint is far greater than my past is a tender comfort for me. And um it, yes. it really turns my heart toward heaven when I think about it that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that expression. 
We know that birthdays and holidays and heaven days can all be so difficult after the loss of a child. Um, and you've been traveling this road for a long time now. So what special ways have you found to honor Clint's life on those especially hard days? I still like to freshen flowers at Clint's graveside, which isn't very far away. Uh, and I do it in advance of those days for others who might visit. We mm-hmm. also give a gift to the Memorial Scholarship Fund at his high school each year on the anniversary of his homegoing in the spring. Um, our yeah. grandsons are in school there now, and they will be able to apply for it, which is very sweet. Oh, nice. On yeah. his birthday, I drop by one or two local bakeries and anonymously pay for four or five birthday cakes for little children. And um, I leave a card for each one to tell them it is in memory of a special boy named Clint. Yeah. Once when I went in, the supervisor and a couple of the bakers were kind of looking awkward when they heard my request. And then one of the bakers just kind of gingerly came over to me and said that one of the cakes that I had paid for was for her little girl. And she just oh. she came over and hugged me and asked me about Clint. It was it was really moving and sweet. Yeah. Uh, in the early years, I had opportunities to speak at events for organ and tissue donors as uh, Clint's corneas were donated. And I was mm-hmm. even invited to speak in Chicago at a national meeting for techs who performed the harvesting procedures. I was able to tell Clint's story and give them a donor family perspective on organ and tissue donation and assure them of the significance of their work. I've spoken to women's groups and shared my testimony in churches, so I always get to honor Clint's memory when I do that. Yeah, and we love those opportunities, don't we? And I put his name on everything I can, you know, (laughs) in in memory of him. Uh You know, every chance I get, I do that. I love it that y'all offer that in so many ways at the retreat center at, at the refuge we can we can donate uh-huh. things in memory of our children and it's so meaningful to go there and see your child's name even if it's just on a paver mm. it's it's very meaningful yes yeah we all love to see our children's name in print for sure I believe that all of us who have lost a child have this very sharp dividing line in our lives. I mean, to me, it's kind of like a fault line um, of before and after. Talk about the before Celeste and the after Celeste. Well, the before Celeste certainly knew nothing about suffering or compassion. Mm. And I'll just Mm -hmm. leave that right there. But the Lord gave me a heart makeover following Clint's death and he grew my faith, and he, he taught me to trust him completely. The notes and cards that I received following Clint's death ministered to me in such deep ways, and especially from those who were bereaved moms. Some even wrote me again seven weeks later, knowing how hard graduation was going to be in Clint's absence. And yes. you know, suddenly, bereaved parents were all over my radar, and I began to write even strangers, when I would read about a child's obituary in the newspaper. And I finally started keeping the names on a spreadsheet so I could remember to write to the mom on her child's birthday, on their first Mother's Day, 
first Christmas, sometimes the beginning of school, yeah. first anniversary of their homegoing. And I found that it was healing to my own heart to write them into stuff a card with a bunch of enclosures that I had collected. Mm-hmm. And I just couldn't stop. I'm still doing this 30 years later. And I now yeah. have over 350 families on that list. And I just added three last wow. week. And in my community, of course, because I know so many of the people and frequently when a child dies in this area, I know multiple members of the family, like grandparents as well. So they all get cards and notes and and enclosures. Mm -hmm. So then it spilled over to folks who are suffering the loss of any loved one. So I, I never send less than about 30 Mother's Day cards with enclosures and I already have at least 30 names on my December 2022 calendar for special memorial Christmas cards for those who will have their first holidays without a loved one. A few years ago, I started um, using some of my own photos of flowers from my garden to create my own cards, and I love being able to use my own scriptures, my favorite scriptures inside. And of course, I always include a memorial dedication to Clint on the back of every card. Um, I've also used a few cow photos from the ice storm of 2021 uh, on the front of some of them, as well as other farm life scenes, along with uh, uh-huh. grief and scripture memes that I find here and there. I've never ma- made this an official ministry, but um, if I did, it would be named Handprints and Daffodils because Clint left handprints all over my heart and all over my life. And his last gift to me with his sister was a pot of yellow daffodils for my birthday a couple of months before he died. Um, Mm. Also, um, something that probably would have never happened um, without knowing tragedy is in 2000, I became a hospice volunteer. I visit patients weekly and assist with their social needs. I've had lots of opportunities to pray personalized scriptures with them and It's been another motive for memorizing scriptures, and I've made some lifelong friends with many of these families. And so those dates, the dates of their loved ones passing are all on my calendars, too, so... They get added, too. Wow. Yeah, I could see why you would need a spreadsheet with all of those dates to keep track of. Yeah, so last week, for instance, I I think I mailed 11 cards, so... Mm -hmm. and. I write, and my cards are blank, so I write in all of them. It's not yeah. like I just sign our name and mail it. It, it gets a, a handwritten note. So I spend quite sure. a bit of time doing that. Yeah, and that's such a significant ministry, because like we talked about earlier, when you're grieving, you can feel so alone. And for the for these folks to get cards from you, perfectly timed for those special days, those really difficult days, I know that makes them feel less alone. I still have uh, all the cards and notes from uh, when Clint died. They're in the Clint drawer, and I still occasionally mm-hmm. go through them. They still minister to me after 31 years, and so... I really value the written word and appreciate the time that people take. And it's becoming kind of a lost art for people to do that. Yes, it is. I just hate that. 
Yeah. Yeah. Nowadays, it's so much easier to send somebody a text or write an email. And there's certainly a place for those things. But nothing can replace a, a handwritten card like that. That's an amazing gift. So talk about your relationship with God before and now after. How has it changed and what have you learned about God's character? I know that God is who he says he is for sure. And I know that he is sovereign. But he does not always intervene in the way that we want him to. I know he's bigger than anything or anyone. And he is able to overrule the worst possible outcomes. And I also know that God is for me and that his purposes and plans for me are perfect. And I have, I have what I consider perfect peace now, regardless of the circumstances. That doesn't mean I don't have my moments, but I have that peace. I know that he is with me always. Yeah, that's a that's a huge comfort to know that. And again, back to that where we've talked about how you can feel so alone in grief. We don't have to feel alone because the Lord is with us all mm-hmm. the time. And no one no one can care more intimately for you than he does, and he cares about every tiny detail. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Sometimes we just have to be aware of it and be reminded and of it. He that. never says oops. Like he didn't say Oops, on April the 10th, 1991, everything is a part of his plan and his purposes. Mm-hmm. We can take that to the bank. It's for real. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When I first met you over five years ago now at our While We're Waiting Mini Retreats for Moms, you know, when, when people share their stories, I always take notes. And one of the things I wrote down that you said was God didn't comfort me to make me comfortable. He comforted me to make me a comforter. Flesh that out a little bit for us. Well, I'm not original about anything. I I actually stole that from (laughs) Streams in the Desert, which was written in 1926. Uh, Um, And on January the 11th, uh, Dr. Jowett wrote that. Uh, His exact words are, God does not comfort us to make us comfortable, but to make us comforters. And Mm -hmm. Dr. Jowett is actually paraphrasing 2 Corinthians 1, 3, and 4, which says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction, with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. So it's it's not an original. It, it came from an old saint, and it's really true. Um, he's teaching us when he allows us to go through something, he's equipping us for a ministry. No one can relate to a bereaved parent like another bereaved parent. So we have to be faithful stewards with what he's teaching us. Yes. And the neat thing about that, too, is as we comfort others, we are comforted ourselves. So, you know, God knows what he's doing. (laughs) Yeah. So finally, a question that I always kind of like to ask in closing, has music been helpful to you on your grief journey? And if so, what is on your playlist or what kind of music do you like to listen to? 
Um, I've also got hymns, and I really like the theology and the doctrine that is taught through the old hymns. So I, mm-hmm. I don't listen to much contemporary music except what I may hear at church or something, but um, yeah, it means more to me to pick up a, an old hymnal at my, in my recliner and sing through a couple of old hymns or just read their words because they're always rich. Yes, I love the richness of the old hymns and, and the hymns of lament. You know, I think in our popular contemporary Christian culture, there's not very much lament. And we see that in those old hymns, and I appreciate that. So I think we're about to wrap up. Is there anything else that you'd like to share before we go? Of course, Jill, you know that I'm a woman of many words, so I have a couple of things (laughs) I'd like to say. Um, Sure. One is that healing does not mean forgetting. I have now made it through lots of holidays without tears, but I had the worst meltdown during Christmas 2021, which was my 31st holiday without Clint, because I felt a desperate need to touch him and be in his presence. It was an ugly, ugly meltdown, and Randy just held me. It's been a really long time since I had a meltdown like that, and you know how every new loss instantly just refreshes that raw, unspeakable pain of those early hours and days and months. The flashbacks are a sort of incurable PTSD, but you Mm. eventually accept them as a blessed part of your child's history and memory. So all that to say that parents don't need to fear that they will ever forget their child. Yes, uh, that's right. The other, uh, another thing is that God is the original recycler. So you can embrace the suffering and all its blessedness because you will become a new and improved version of yourself. Your faith will grow. Your relationship with the Lord will become sweeter than ever. You will receive a heart makeover. And I like to say that my life is much richer now, even without Clint because of the suffering that I have known. I think people also should know that um, God is faithful. He loves you. He will meet your every need. He has not changed. His promises are still true. He will never leave you nor forsake you. He is able to turn all your longings praiseward, and He's for you. In the beginning, it's really hard to turn your longings praiseward, but it can make a huge difference in the process. In the beginning, you can't even string together two thought processes, but I learned that when I could start thanking God for the gift of Clint's life and for the memories that comfort me and for the sweet privilege of choosing me to be his mother, that I started turning corners little by little. And I realized that there are thousands of things to thank God for about Clint's life. It also Mm -hmm. caused me to start thinking of others and helped me to begin reaching out to others who were walking the same road. I love the way Charles Haddon Spurgeon explains uh, Isaiah 49, 16, uh, which reads, Behold, I have graven thee upon the palms of my hands, 
Spurgeon says, I have graven thee. It does not say thy name. Thy name is there, but that is not all. I have graven thee. See the fullness of this. I have graven thy person, thy image, thy case, thy circumstances, thy sins, thy temptations, thy weaknesses, thy wants, thy works. I have graven thee. Everything about thee. All that concerns Mm -hmm. thee. I have put thee all together there. Wilt thou ever say again that thy God hath forsaken thee when he has graven thee upon his own palms? Mm. I love that because it it includes yes. everything about our being. Everything. Mm-hmm. We are graven yeah. upon his palms. Yes. Wow, what a great word to end with. <laughs> a great reminder that he's always with us and that we are graven on the palms of his hands. I love that. Thank you for that. And thank you so much for joining me today and for sharing your story of Clint and kind of the wisdom that God has given you over over 30 plus years. It's been my pleasure, Jill. You know how much fun it is to say your child's name. And I got to say Clint a lot oh, of yeah. times today. absolutely and it was a blessing to us to hear it so thank you so much you're welcome thank you so much for joining me for another episode of the while we're waiting hope after child loss podcast if this podcast has been a blessing to you please take just a moment to leave a rating or a review and please feel free to share it with someone you know who might be helped by it We're so grateful for all of you who come back and listen every week, and those of you who may be listening for the very first time. I hope God has used it to encourage you today and to help you live well while you're waiting.